Amen. I am grateful to have each of you with us, and uh, some of you probably have already figured out that uh, I am the pastor, but let me go ahead and introduce myself just because of the fact that uh, I don't recognize every individual who is here. It is nice. Uh, I do have a few extra friends that came this morning, and it is a blessing to have them with us. I had someone ask me if I'm one of those pastors who has the visitors stand up and introduce themselves, and some of you guys are in a panic right now. I am not that kind of guy. Uh, actually, when I pastored in North Carolina, I was the youth pastor, and my senior pastor had a terrible habit of calling on whoever the guest was to have them stand up and introduce themselves. And I remember one Sunday, there was a guy who came in after the singing had started, and he sat down in the very back row, because that's what guests do if they don't really know anybody there. And uh, the pastor stood up and he said, I see we've got a guest back there. Would you mind standing up and introducing yourself? And you could see the guy didn't really want to introduce himself. And he stood up anyways and he said, uh, my name is Jose and I was just walking by. And my very first thought, I know it's probably inappropriate, but no wonder they ask, Jose, can you see? He's all the way in the back row. <laughs> I am not going to have anyone stand up this morning. Some of y'all will get that later. It'll be okay. So... <laughs> Uh, but, but at the same time, I do want to welcome you. It is a blessing to have you with us, just to be able to celebrate uh, the Lord's Day together as a part of the body of Christ. I do want to share one more quick passage of Scripture. We're going to be all over the place this morning, but uh, there's a passage in John chapter 6, and it's an interesting passage just because of the fact that it parallels what we're going to be looking at later today in Luke chapter 9. But in John chapter 6, and it's a, a very long chapter, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but we are going to read verses 60 through 69 just for a few moments here. And uh, this is what it says. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. I learned a long time ago that ministry is supposed to be fun. I also learned that it's good to mix things up a little bit, to not do things in such a way that you already know what's going to happen next. So we're going to mix things up a little bit today, um, and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it today. It's been years since I actually tag-teamed on a sermon, yet today I'm going to tag-team. I have two other individuals who will be participating with me. But let me just start with a, a little bit of an introduction about who this church is supposed to be. God has blessed this church. Trinity Wesleyan Church has been here for a little more than 100 years. Uh, sitting over there right behind Dr. Voss is one of our former pastors. Uh, pastor Wiggins has served here. How long were you the pastor here? 
for 18 years, and it is my goal, by the way, to beat him. Uh, it is unusual. Uh, <laughs> it is unusual for pastors to stay 18 years, but my goal is to beat him. Actually, I want to retire here, so uh, I got a long ways to go. Still, I'm too young to retire. But, anyways, uh, this church, our theme verse is Micah chapter six, verse eight. And in it, the prophet poses a question. He says, and what does the Lord require of you? And then he answers the question, because sometimes we need it to be that simple for us. He says, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To put that in everyday language, here at the church, we believe that God is calling us to, first of all, do what is right, to act justly, to live today as if we genuinely are new creations in Christ, living holy lives. We also believe that in order for us to love mercy, we need to look outside the four walls of the church to recognize where brokenness takes place and then to get involved and be a part of the solution meeting needs. And then finally, in order for us to walk humbly with our God, we believe that we must allow God's word to be our foundation of everything that we do. How can you walk humbly with your God if you don't know what he expects? If you do not know the word that he has given, practically what that means, when I or anyone else stands in this pulpit, we're not here to share our opinions. We are here to share God's word in a way that intersects with our daily lives. I know that many of you could have been at just about any church you wanted today. There are many churches in this community. There are some really good churches in this community. So I thank you for being here today in this church just to be a part of what God's doing. You know, team sports can be very exciting. In some places around the country, we prefer professional sports over collegiate sports. In other places, people are more interested in basketball or soccer or baseball or softball or hockey if you're from Canada. It's not really an American thing, but that's okay. Uh, around here, it is obviously college football. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't love other sports. You can still enjoy other sports, but the fact is, this is probably the most intense place I've ever seen with college sports. Uh, in fact, the term could be used obsessive and be appropriate. Uh, my kids this week will get out of school at, I think it's 1130 on Thursday, because Clemson University has a football game at 8 o'clock that night. That is ridiculous. I, I got emails this week, even the city of Clemson. The offices, City Hall, everybody will close down by noon on Thursday, all because of a football game. And it's not even a good team they're playing. <laughs> if you're a Georgia Tech fan, sorry. But the truth is that not everybody is as passionate as other people. Not everyone is as invested in their teams as others would be. Some would be, some would go to incredible extremes that we would look at and say that's insanity. Others, you'd barely know that they were fans. As most of you probably know by now, I've been preaching a sermon series using three chairs, and Tim, thanks. I do this every week. I get up here, and I forget to put the chairs up here. So Tim's going to help me out, and he's going to set up some chairs. By the way, in case you're wondering, um, I do actually like Clemson football, but I confess 
I am more of a Virginia Tech fan than I am a Clemson fan. I grew up in Virginia. Most people just feel sorry for me for that because uh, obviously we're not very good. At least we're not as good as Clemson. Thank you. Um, but I do actually like Clemson. I was uh, talking with Coach Venables, and I, I told him as long as you're not playing Virginia Tech, I will still pull for Clemson. So I want, I want them to win, so know that I'm in your corner this week. So anyways, uh, we've been uh, using these three chairs to point out where people are often in our walk with Christ. And uh, I believe today that every one of us would fit in one of those three chairs. Uh, each of the chairs represents something different. Uh, this would be the chair of commitment. Uh, those of you who are in the front row, you just have to believe there's a chair that is here. Um, this chair represents the chair of commitment, and actually, I'm getting it backwards. I got my chairs over here, sorry. We're going to start over here. This chair represents the chair of commitment, and in the chair of commitment, basically, an individual has made the declaration that I will follow Jesus Christ and be fully surrendered to him no matter what. And they're living it out. They have made that decision. It's become a part of them. They are acting justly. They are loving mercy. And they are walking humbly with their God. All three together here in this seat. This is truly the place where God desires all of us to be. He created us for intimacy. But not just intimacy with one another. But intimacy with him. He desires that we be as close to him as possible to know him better than we even know ourselves. This is the seat that all of us ought to be in. That being said, not everybody is. In fact, I would suggest that there are more people who would call themselves Christians who are in this second seat than in the first seat. This seat is the seat of compromise. It is the place where, unfortunately, many of us find ourselves in, and we don't even realize that we're there. In fact, often we think we're still in the seat of commitment, yet we have drifted and we are no longer as passionately serving Christ and seeking Christ as we once were. In the letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus accuses the church saying, you have lost your first love. There was a point that you were passionately pursuing me above all else. You were committed, but somewhere along the way, you lost that love. Unfortunately, this is the seat that many of us are very familiar with. The church of Laodicea received a letter as well, and they are actually rebuked. He says, I wish you were either hot or cold, but instead you are lukewarm. This is the seat that is very, very dangerous. Because what happens is you think you're over here, but you're a whole lot closer to over here than what you really want to admit. Unfortunately, this is where many people are. Of course, the last seat is what we refer to as the seat of conflict. When we talk about the seat of conflict, we're not really talking about conflict with other people, although at times it will materialize into conflict with other people too. But specifically, being in conflict with Christ, with God, uh, no longer in that right relationship, I would suggest that this is probably the one who makes no claim to Christ in the first place. Maybe it's an individual never been to church, but they would not in any way say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. There are exceptions. We talked about it last week. There are politicians who know that the Christian church is a voting block, and therefore they will call themselves Christians just because they want your vote. But the reality is most people who would be in this chair really make no claim and really make no attempt to call themselves or act like Christians. Well, regardless of which seat you are in, 
know that God desires a personal relationship with you. More than anything else, he loves you and he desires that you be made right with him. I gave you some examples last week. The Apostle Paul, there was a point that he was in this seat of conflict. In his case, it was out of ignorance. He really didn't even know. He didn't realize that he was a sinner. He thought he was doing everything possible to help God, but he was actually standing in the way. And of course, on his Damascus Road experience, he is confronted on it. There are others that, uh, the Pharisees, they were in that seat of conflict, standing opposed to God primarily because they wanted power. Selfishness drove them. I don't know why people end up in that seat, but I know that many people do. Well, today we're going to connect the image of these three seats with our passion for team sports just a little bit. I want us to start by looking at what it means to be a casual fan. Actually, I'm going to go sit down here. Morning. I'm going to jump right in. It's going to feel like a fire hydrant here. Uh, I thought raising a teenager was hard, but telling somebody he's got 40 minutes, Eight minutes to put a 40-minute sermon in. That's, uh, that's tough. Six minutes now. We're down to six minutes here. Let's jump in here. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be in John chapter 6. This passage is also in Luke chapter 9 where we're kind of hanging out. But I want to pick out one little thing out of John chapter 6. While you're looking, I want to ask you this question. Are you a follower of Jesus? I would say the chances are pretty good that you just skipped over that question. You may have heard it before, but I doubt it carried much weight. Or had any real impact. So let me ask it again now that your ears are perked up. Are you a follower of Jesus? I, I, know, I, I know you've been asked that question before in your life because it's so familiar we're going to blow it off. And it's redundant and unnecessary in a church setting. So let me tell you what I'm not asking this morning. Do you go to church? Are your parents Christians? Did you raise your hand at the end of a sermon did you repeat a prayer after a preacher? Do you own three or more Bibles? Have you ever appeared in a church directory? I'll pause on that one. Did you grow up going to VBS or church camp? Is your ringtone a worship song? When you pray, are you able to utilize five or more synonyms for God? I can keep going, seriously. I can. Okay, have you ever worn witness wear? You know what that is? That's shirts that talk about Jesus. Have you ever kissed dating goodbye? Under religious views, does your Facebook page say Christ follower? Did you get a purpose-driven life in 40 days or less? Do you say bless your heart or bless their heart before speaking badly about someone? Here's my point. Many of us are quick to say I'm a follower of Jesus but I'm not really sure we understand what we're saying. One of the most sobering passages of Scripture, don't turn to it, Matthew chapter 7, tells of a day when everyone who has ever lived will stand before God. And on that day, many people who call themselves Christians as followers will stand confidently in front of Jesus only to hear him say, I never knew you away from me. So this morning... If you've just assumed you're a follower of Jesus, I pray that this message over the next two speakers would either confirm that confidence or it would convict you to reevaluate your relationship with Jesus. 
So where do we start in determining if you're a follower of Jesus? I think the first question is, could you possibly be a fan of Jesus? So walk with me just a second. Picture in your mind. I won't say that the, the famous coffee shop, not a fan of them. But picture yourself in a local coffee shop. You grab a snack, get a drink, and you walk to the back, and it's real quiet, and you sit down. You take a sip of your drink, and you enjoy a few quiet moments, and in walks this man with a blue sash. And you go back to Sunday school, and you go, that's probably Jesus. You're unsure what to say. In an awkward moment, you try to break the silence by asking Jesus, play along here with me, to turn your water into wine. He gives you the same look that he gave Peter. And before he has a chance to respond, you suddenly realize you haven't prayed for your food. So you decide to say a prayer out loud. And you start off okay, but here's how it ends. If you can tag along, it'd be nice. Three things we pray. To love thee more dearly. To see thee more clearly. To follow thee more nearly. Day by day by day. And you quickly say amen and realize you just quoted from a secular movie. Before you have the chance to make things awkward, Jesus skips past the small talk and gets right to the point, and he gets this DTR moment. Any millennials in here, when you start to date somebody, it'll happen to everybody. It happened to all of us when we start dating. I took my wife on a date, and you realize, where's this relationship going? The DTR is define the relationship. You ever heard that? Define the relationship. Are we, are we steady? Are we... Uh, serious? Are we exclusive? And so Jesus looks in your eyes and says, it's time to define the relationship. He wants to know how you feel about him. Is your relationship with me exclusive, Jesus says? Or is it just a casual weekend thing? Or has it moved past that? How would your relationship with Jesus be defined? So this morning, whether you've called yourself a Christian since childhood, or all this is new to you, Jesus would clearly define what kind of relationship he wants to have with you. He wouldn't sugarcoat it or dress it up. He would tell you exactly what it means to follow him. I hope Mike tells you that. As you're sitting in that coffee shop listening to Jesus give the unedited, un-Sunday school version of what kind of relationship he wants, I can't help but wonder if that question, are you a follower of Jesus, would be a little more challenging to answer. In our church world today, it may seem that there's many followers of Jesus. But if they were honestly asked to define their relationship with him, I'm not sure it would be accurate to say they're followers. To me, the more accurate word would be fans. So I went to the dictionary. Here's what the definition of a fan is. Related to Clemson, whatever you want to do. The, def the most basic definition of a fan is an enthusiastic admirer. It's the guy who goes to the game. He sits in the stand. He cheers. He's got a jersey hanging on his wall at home, maybe some bumper stickers, but he's never been in the game. He knows all about the players. He can roll off all the latest stats. And the truth is, as excited as he seems, if the team he starts cheering for lets him down, he's out of there. His passion's gone. After several losing seasons, he's gone. He's an enthusiastic admirer. And I think Jesus in the church today has a lot of fans. Fans who cheer for him when things are going well but walk away when cancer strikes. 
walk away when their son or daughter walks away. Fans who sit safely in the pews cheering, but they know nothing of the sacrifice and the pain of the field. Fans of Jesus who know all about him, but they don't know him. But Jesus is never, ever interested in having fans. When he defines what kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer isn't an option. My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to becoming stadiums. And every week all the fans come on the campus and they cheer for Jesus, but they have no interest in truly following him. The biggest threat to the church today is not Satan. It's fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. So here's the two criteria. I'm, I'm sure I'm done. Here's the two criteria. Gauge for yourself if you're a fan or a fanatic or a follower. Here's the two criteria. One, they want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits. In John chapter 6, verse 26, it's the only passage I want to look at. John chapter 6, it's the same story of feeding the 5,000 as Luke chapter 9. Jesus, they got to Jesus on the other side. And verse 26 says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So I asked my kids last night during devotion, why were the people still following Jesus the next day? And a 5, 8, and 13-year-old got the right answer. And the right answer is what? Why are they still following Jesus the next day? They're looking for food. He filled them up. He got them what they wanted. How many churches are full of crowds of people? Whether the good show, whether it's good babysitting. I've talked to Christians that come to church, drop the kid off, and go grocery shopping. It's the best time of the week, I've heard. Clean living. If you follow some biblical principles, life's pretty clean. It's a good show, good entertainment. I know of churches that's giving away free cars and free gas cards. We will do anything to entice you to come to Christ. That's a fan. I want all the benefits. And then secondly, but I don't want it to cost me anything. So my final question this morning is, has it cost you anything? Has it cost you anything to follow Jesus? I'm going to give you a guy's name. His name is Nicodemus. I'd like for you to study him this week. I don't have time to dig into him. He's mentioned in three passages in John. John chapter 3, John chapter 7, and John chapter 19. He starts out as a fan. And let's see, you can look him up and see where he goes. But some people are not fans. Some people don't, some people are not taking sports casually like fans. Some people are fanatics. all the way. Josh just talked to you about fans. I am not a fan. I am a fanatic. Super fan, right? I am involved with my team. I love my team. The Redskins is my team. I, somebody said earlier there was another team y'all pull for around here? Like a, They wear orange or something? I don't know. I never heard of them. They're a college team, right? 
you know what I call college teams? Little League, all right? NFL, baby. This is the big leagues. This is the real deal super fans. I am involved with my team. I'm not just fair weather. For those of you who know anything about the NFL, the Redskins are not always the best team. They are terrible. They lose a lot, and I'm always with them. I'm not just looking for the good stuff. I am always involved. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock some people in here. I do not play for the Redskins. I know, right? I look like I, you look at me and you think that dude's in the NFL, right? There is, there is several differences. I got the jersey. I may mimic some of the players in the way I look, but I am not ever actually on the field. You know, there's a lot of differences between me and the real players. But one of the big differences is after a Redskins game, win or lose, I'm going to walk upright to my car, get in and go home, right? The players after their games, after they've played football for two hours, two and a half hours, whatever, they might be limping to the car, right? They might be all bruised up. They might have a concussion, have somebody help them to their car. You know what I'm saying? But me, I'll walk fine. If I was at a Redskins game, okay, set the stage for you. I'm at a Redskins game, and Jay Gruden, the coach of my team, the coach of the team that I'm involved with, that I cheer for, says, hey, come down here for a second. I'm in the crowd, and I go down there, and he says, look, we're losing right now. But if you get in there, and you get tackled by a 350-pound defensive lineman, we'll win. You know what I'm doing as a fan? I'm putting my helmet on. I'm putting my pads on. I'm running out there. I'm ready. No, I am not. Absolutely no, I am not. The Redskins are losing that game if that's what it I heard. I said 350 pounds. Did y'all hear me? And that 350-pound player, you know what his job is? To tackle people, people much bigger than me, and it would not be difficult for him to crush me. See, I'm a fan. I'm in with the good and the bad. I'll sacrifice my time to watch the games. I'll sacrifice maybe money to buy jerseys and different things. But at a certain point, there's a certain point where the Redskins are not my number one priority. I have other priorities. In that case, my body being the priority and living another day. But there are, there's a certain point, even that I'm in all the time, high and low, whatever, there's a certain threshold that I'm not willing to cross. We do the same things. There's a lot of Christians who are involved with a lot of stuff and do the same things in their Christian walk. Luke 9, 57 through 62 says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow looks back and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back. See, these guys wanted to follow Jesus. We, they were involved. They were like, look, I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to be involved all the time. But first, let me go do something else. First, let me go take care of business. And you may say, it's pretty harsh, you know, not letting a guy bury his family, say goodbye to his family. But you can fill in the blank with anything right there. Any priority that could possibly put ahead of your relationship with Jesus. See, for us, it looks different than that. 
Jesus wasn't talking to the specific action. He was talking to, there is a priority ahead of me, and it doesn't need to be there. We may, involve, we may be involved in church. We may not just come to church, but serve in the church. But then when it comes to one certain commandment that Jesus gave us, I don't know if I can go that far. We may be involved in the church. We may be doing service projects outside of the church. But when it comes to telling people about Jesus that aren't in church, sharing my faith, man, I, I don't know if I can do it like that. I don't know if I can do that. Just like me, being in with my team until it comes to a certain threshold, a certain point, we can do the same thing. We can be all in with Jesus except one thing. We have one priority, one thing that we're going to say, I'm with you until this line. We're more than just fans. We're more than just for the good times. But there's still something. There's one thing, two things that are going to keep us from following Jesus the way we need to. See, fanatics are involved. Fanatics can be so close to the relationship that Jesus wants for us. But fanatics still are not as involved, still do not sacrifice as much as the people in the game. point out the Redskins only play for two and a half hours it's a three-hour game no wonder they don't win <laughs> when Jesus invited his disciples to come and follow him they seem very much ready and willing to do so regardless of what it costs them. I'm still going to read you something from Luke chapter 9 real quick. Verse 21 to 24, it says, Jesus warned his disciples not to tell anyone who he was. The Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower... You must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. It's interesting, Jesus issues a call on multiple occasions to individuals to come and follow him. When he starts out with his disciples, uh, those that we look at and say that they're the 12 that he really wanted serving and leading around him... He invites them in a very casual and what I would say very welcoming way. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Tell you the truth, that's a pretty easy call, especially if you're a fisherman. Man, I know this stuff. I just get to deal with people now. I can handle that. That's a very simple way for me to serve. And of course, they get up and they go. And then the passage that we just heard read uh, that um, Landon used, and then even with this passage, you have individuals who want very much to follow. In fact, the first one says to Jesus, he's the one who says, hey, I'll follow you. Jesus wasn't even asking at that point. He says, yeah, I'll do it. You've got those who, yeah, they're very casual, and when it comes down to it, they know what it's like to at least talk about Jesus. They may not have a relationship, but they're very casual. They're just fans. And then you have those, oh, yeah, I'll follow you. 
Well, you know, you're not going to have a place to lay down. You're not going to have all the comforts of home. Well, you know, maybe I'm more of a casual fan. (laughs) I thought I was kind of a fanatic, but maybe I'm more of a casual fan. Then Jesus says to these other individuals, hey, I want you to follow me, but, you know, as you follow me, I'm not just inviting you to be fishers of men. He says, anyone who will follow me, they must give up their own way. You're not in charge anymore. This is the walk humbly with your God from Micah 6.8. You can't do it the way you want it done because truthfully, if you want to stay here in the fanatic seat, man, I'll tell you what, you can still do it your way. There are all kinds of crazy people that are fanatics. Uh, you see them with the paint all over them. You see them with uh, actually even their vehicles. They paint them up. It's ridiculous. They can do it their own way, and everybody just says, oh, there's a fanatic. And we just kind of laugh about it when we see them. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're actually going to be in that seat of commitment with me, you can't do it your way got to be willing to do it God's way. Take it a step further. He says, you must take up your cross and follow me. Now, I know actually Tim just gave everybody on our mission team that just went to Costa Rica, he gave us all a cross necklace. Beautiful. Um, I think in some ways we have minimized really the significance of the cross. Because in the way we look at it today, it is beautiful, it is pure, it's a symbol of really our faith. But I'm going to tell you, in Jesus' day, it wasn't. Actually, the cross was a symbol of punishment and suffering. The cross was something that was reserved for the worst of criminals. Those who had done terrible things to other people, it was a symbol of public disgrace. Yet we look at it as something beautiful. Jesus doesn't invite them to something beautiful. He says, if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross to do it. It's going to cost you something. There's going to be a sacrifice. I will tell you that that doesn't sound like a very friendly invitation. Uh, I imagine the crowd sitting there listening to Jesus as he's talking on this particular day in Luke chapter 9 and John chapter 6. I imagine they're listening to him thinking to themselves, I don't know that I'm really up for this. And I think that way because I think sometimes I would have been in that position. I love the fact that you reference Nicodemus. Nicodemus starts out and truthfully Nicodemus is in the casual fan seat. He's just kind of watching. He's heard things about Jesus, and he's just kind of aware of what's going on. But truthfully, there's no commitment to it. It's just him and his decision to, you know, just find out more information. He's curious. Have you ever been curious about something enough that you began that just to ask a few questions? Well, that's Nicodemus. But Nicodemus would actually go through a shift over his years. In fact, as Josh accurately pointed out, he's mentioned multiple times in the same gospel. And it's because you see him really walking this journey. Obviously, the gospels aren't about Nicodemus, but it is about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And what happens is over a period of time, we see Nicodemus shifting from one seat to the next. I want you to know today that... If you're in the seat of a casual fan, if you're in the seat of conflict with God, 
you are not stuck in that seat. Because God will always make a way for you to move to the next one. The truth is, all of us have been in that seat at some point or another. I can look back, and I remember I was a, um, a high school graduate, just barely. It was August of 1990. I know some of the younger people here weren't even born yet, but it was August of 1990. I was at a youth camp in Roanoke, Virginia, and I remember the pastor opening the altar, inviting people to come forward and receive Christ. I have absolutely no idea what the pastor spoke on that evening. I can't remember much of anything about what was said at all. But I remember that when he invited individuals to come forward and receive Christ, I came forward and prayed. And truthfully, that was probably one of the most life-changing moments that I have ever had. Not because I said some magic prayer, but in fact, the truth is I had been to the altar on many occasions before. <laughs> Uh, at probably at that same camp, but many other times as well. I had made decisions. I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to do the things I'm supposed to do. And it felt like I was a real fan. But the truth is, I never moved from the casual fan position. I got involved and I'd start serving. I remember the pastor I grew up with, uh, he would invite me and my brother to go with him to uh, serve every Sunday afternoon. He would go on Sundays to make hospital visits or go to nursing homes, and uh, I would tell him, "No, nah, I don't really feel like it." And he'd say, and he had a a Chrysler LeBaron convertible. He'd say, "We'll ride with the top down," and it'd be 34 degrees outside, and we'd be riding with the top down, <laughs> and I would be out visiting folks as a part of being a Christian. Anytime there was a need at the church. We were involved. If there was snow on the ground, the pastor would show up at our house, pick me and my brother up, and we'd go and we'd shovel snow at the church. We'd go and we'd cut the grass at the church in the summertime. It didn't matter. I was serving the church, and to me, I thought that that was really all that it took, but really what happened was somewhere along the way, I had moved from the position of a casual fan to one who was a fanatic. But it was in August of 1990 that I chose to surrender my life fully to Jesus Christ and to ask him to forgive me of my sin and to give me purpose and meaning. And that's exactly what he did. And at that moment, I moved from just being a casual fan to a fanatic into the position of being one who is actually in the game, a part of the body of Christ. I believe very firmly that God desires the same thing for each of us. I will tell you, there is no magic prayer. We talk about it as a magic prayer. You've got to say some prayer of repentance. And I do encourage you to surrender your life. He calls on us to do so, to confess our sin. He is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe very firmly that there is value in us seeking the Lord and calling out to him. But far too many of us have called out to him, yet continue to live our life in a way that does not reflect one who just came to Christ. God desires that we be transformed, that we be made new, that the old die and the new be born, that we become new creations. I'll tell you the truth, I think that there are a lot of people in the church that are fanatics. 
more fanatics than fans. I will say that. But unfortunately, I don't know how many of us are actually in the game. Now, here's the cool thing. I, I don't have to be the judge of that. I really don't. You know, God's grace is much bigger than mine, and I'm glad because I don't even know if I'd be good enough. And I get that. God's grace is tremendous. But that being said, I want to live in such a way that I don't have to fear that day when I come before him. I don't want him to say, away from me, I never knew you. But rather, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Maybe today you have confessed your sin and you've already asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. Maybe today you've already tried this casual fan thing, this fanatic thing even, but maybe you've never chosen to truly give everything over to him. I want to invite you to do that this morning. Now, get it. Please get it. Just because you pray does not mean the journey's over. I'm inviting you into a new journey. One where simply you say, God, I give up my way. I now choose to walk your way. I seek you. I obey you. I will follow you. I don't want to be a fan. I want in the game. If that's you, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe some of you today, I know this is not really an emotional type message, but at the same time, maybe for you, you know that there are things that you have allowed into your life. Maybe there was a time you were in the game and you knew what it was to be surrendered to Christ, but somewhere along the way you got distracted. Maybe someone died. Maybe someone got sick. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe something happened that you never saw coming. You got your eyes fixed on that thing. And the next thing you know, you drifted from that seat of commitment, that seat of being on the field, to where now, yeah, you're still kind of a fan, but you're not really sure where you're at. You just know you're not over there where you're supposed to be. Maybe today is the day, not where you get in that seat for the first time, but you simply say, hey, you know what? It is time for me to get serious again. It's time for me to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, even if junk happens in my life. It's going to happen. You live in a world where stuff happens all the time. Sometimes you can plan for it, sometimes you can't. Let's just be ready and be in his presence all the time. He didn't promise us that life would be easy. But he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And that is true. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for the reality that we, we depend solely on your grace. Father, we have, we have been in all three of these chairs, some of us, all three, some of us, maybe we've just been in the seat of conflict. Father, we need you to forgive us. We confess to you that we have fallen short of your glory. But we know that the gift of God is eternal life. And that's through your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray right now that you would forgive us, that you would give us a hope, give us purpose, give us meaning. Thank you that there was a day in my life where you came in and made me new. I pray that every individual in this room 
would know what it is to be made new and to receive your purpose, your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill them, that you would work in them. I pray that as you as you deal with the sin of the past, that you would now equip them to go out and be changed. May you be honored as we act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I will say this, if you have, uh, if you feel like, you know what, I really would love to know more about what it is to be in that seat of commitment, to know what it is to be fully surrendered to Jesus Christ, man, I would love to talk with you after service today. I would love to be able to connect with you. I'll also say this, and it's not so much about the sermon, um, but if you do not have a church home, we would love to have you next week as well. So we will do service again next week, and we would love to have you. It will be different. I won't have Josh and Landon up here with me, but uh, we will uh, do this again next week. I am so glad that you have come today to be a part of it. I hope that you feel valued and loved by the people who invited you. Thank you for being with us, and go in peace.